Welcome to Star Drifter, a science fiction patio book series written and read by Lost in Bronx. Book One, Motherload. Today's installment, Chapter One, Breakdown. Hello, this is Lost in Bronx, also known as David Collins Rivera. I'm the author, producer, and reader of this story, and I hope you enjoy it. Motherlode is a three-part novella and is actually the first story in a new science fiction patio book series which I'm calling Star Drifter. Consider it a sort of introduction to the character of Ejok de Santos and the universe wherein he plies his trade. While this is not comedically retro-type stuff, we are ultimately talking about space opera, ray guns and rockets, so if that's your predilection, you're listening to the right story. Motherlode began as a small idea about a small man fighting a small battle in a small ship. It still is that, but as we know, even small things can be deadly. And sometimes, the fate of worlds can rest on the shoulders of ordinary people just doing their jobs. The time is the future. The place? The middle of nowhere. Please sit back, have a listen, and enjoy part one. Of mother Normally, the waiting is bad. This time, it was brutal. I mean, there are always things to do on an old betchel if you want the boat to keep running, but that's usually just maintenance stuff. It all falls into a routine pretty fast, and no matter how anal or conscientious you are, pretty soon you end up with time on your hands. It was for exactly this reason that Sally caught a flux in the reactor's mag bottle that first month out. It was a little thing. Diagnostics didn't even flag it. She was already so bored, she decided to run a sim based on the fluctuation's wave frequency and fractal quality, She was surprised at the result and ran it again, since she still didn't have anything to do. When it came back the same way, though, she called a crew meeting, and all four of us sat down in the common room for the bad news. Eighty, maybe a hundred hours tops at 50% throttle. Less at more, more at less. What will happen exactly? Uh, Will we explode? This was Bairn. Captain Bairn, when he was pissed off or just wanted attention... Sally looked at him like he smelled. He didn't, but he always sounded like he did. No, we're not going to explode. That doesn't happen when the magnetics go. The reactor will shut down cold. We'll be on backups then, but they'll drain out before we're even halfway back to Diegman. Then we'll either cruise through its orbital plane at a dead coast if our aim is good, or we'll impact at a dead coast if our aim is too good. Either way, we'll never know, because our life support will have given out, oh, say, 15 days beforehand. 
so you're saying we should turn around now and head back? Sally looked at Gennis and me for help. But what could we do? We can't turn back now is what I'm saying. We did a 226-hour burn on our way out before we even made the first course correction. And then we ran it 11 days straight after that. Bairn frowned at her tone, but was much too conscious of the fact that we could see he didn't quite grasp the situation to immediately comment. Can you repair it? Gennis had leaned in, his zen-like calm putting the tension a little further off for all of us. He was forever diffusing explosive conversations between Sally and Bairn, who, on the best of days, clashed like orange on blue. She didn't suffer fools gladly, while Bairn had no choice, being one himself. The fact that he was, at least nominally, the boss, only made it worse. And Gen seemed to understand this. Yeah, I can fix it. But I have to shut the power plant down while I'm working. That means batteries for a couple of days, if the problem is what I think it is. If not, we'll have to play it by ear. But you'll be able to start it up again. Uh, the reactor, I mean. Bairn had forced a serious grimness onto his smooth, round face, and honestly... I didn't know how he had managed it. That stunned, animal-in-the-headlights look of his had been so completely ever-present, I'd thought it to be a genetic aberration. To his credit, he was really trying to seem like he was on top of this. It was actually quite adorable. I could have watched it all day. Why would I shut the flaming thing down if I didn't think I could bring it online again? Hey, watch the attitude. We have a serious situation. And as captain, I need everyone at his or her best. Now, what we need is for you, Sally, to get right on those repairs. Uh, do you want help? Who has tech experience here? Uh, you know I'm secondary engineer. And that fast, it wasn't so amusing anymore. I mean, there were only four of us on the dang boat, including him, and he was skipper. He'd had weeks to go over our backgrounds and should have known our secondary assignments before he even stepped aboard. We might have only been a slapped-together crew, but he could have at least read the mission package the company had put together for our run. There was a lot to it, but like I said, we had time. All our backgrounds and basic skill sets, that'd be nice to be up on, right? Well, there was an itemized breakdown of our shipboard duties, more than enough to keep us busy for the four months we'd be out where inbound ships had to arrive from Star Jump. Then there was an in-depth technical overview of Dame Minnie, which was the creaking civilian-class gunboat we'd been commissioned to crew, with special highlights from his 48-year career. Now, that was actually good stuff, just about a book on its own. Then, and probably most importantly, there was an overview of the boat's primary responsibility and the legal documents to back it up. That is to say, an explicit mandate to screen any and all inbounds and meet and repel suspected Corsairs. In short, to be a guard dog off its chain. Oh, and finally, they thoughtfully included a small booklet of tips on how to make nice-nice with difficult co-workers. He didn't read that either. You help out in engineering, E-Jock, and I'll cover gunnery duties until this crisis is over. Any questions? There were several, but they didn't really amount to much. Was Sally sure we had enough life support to get us through the situation? Yes, system batteries could last for weeks on standard power rations. Were there any expected escorts out or challenges coming in during our anticipated downtime? 
Yes, a small free trader named Pocky or Pachi or something was outbound from Diegman right now, but we would most likely be up and running again before it reached the system's star jump point. Would our bosses back on Diegman give us crap over all this? Probably. I was hungry, so I heated up a frozen meal after the meeting broke up and followed Sally down to engineering with it. Her domain was a cramped space of pipes, cables, and creepy shadows, not to mention all the noise from the atmosphere exchange unit, the drive system, and the power plant in question. I bumped my head painfully on a projecting bolt while climbing over a plasma duct to get to Sally's desk, and I swore blue thunder. I hated this job, truth be told. Oh, not the temporary reassignment to engineering so much. I had minored in ship systems in higher ed and had maintained a partial interest in civilian-class defense boats, of which our tiny Dame Minnie was one, and not because I'd be helping Sally out. True, I preferred working alone on my primary assignment, but then we all did. Sally with her engines and systems, Gennis monitoring and maintaining comm systems, Bairn with whatever it was he did all shift, no one was quite sure, even him, and me with my defensive systems and combat sims. Besides, even though Sally had at least ten years on me, she was in really great shape and had an entertaining way of stringing words together when she was pissed off and had a good brain at all times. In other words, attractive. Nothing was forthcoming in all that for me, because she and Gennis had been together since about a week after we left Diegman, and he was young, handsome, soft-spoken, and in great shape himself, while I was short, pudgy, and prone to complaining a lot when bored, and trust me, you get a lot of bored on extended picket duty. Not that Diegman had exactly been an entertainment paradise before this, It had been three months since the big corporate supply ship I'd been signed to had arrived in Diegman when the news caught up with us that its parent company had been bought out. They have SOPs for these sorts of things, one of which is to immediately downsize the crew. I got a good reference, a crappy severance, and the axe. My luck running to type, the piracy problem in real tools started getting bad right about then, and the big outfits just stopped coming. Traffic from privately owned ships was up for a while, but even that started tapering off. I was left sitting on my ever-widening posterior, watching vids, running scenarios on my tiny wrist comp, and filling my face with the spicy fried food the locals seemed to love. Diegman imports almost everything it needs, which means almost everything it has to offer is at robbery prices. Six weeks, and my savings started getting tight. By 10, I was facing homelessness, which is one harsh prospect on a vacuum-wrapped planet, believe you me. An acquaintance of an acquaintance tipped me to the fact that the mining interests in Diegman had gotten together in secret and bought a used Betchel, which they wanted to crew and launch in the next couple of months. As a privately owned vessel, it fell outside the boundaries and direct control of the Diegman Security Corps, which was more police force than military body anyway. SecCor had Diegman and the Inner System settlements covered nicely with a moderate collection of mismatched orbiters and transports, and they did a respectable job of keeping the peace. They had nothing for command and control of Realtool's jump point on the outer edge of the small system, though, exactly where pirates had been hitting. One old Betchel wasn't much of an improvement on that situation, but they had to start somewhere, I suppose. 
I wasted no time and applied. And while I might not be much to look at, my resume is a killer. I was hired on the spot. Sally said later that she had quit her previous position on a medium-sized freighter a couple of weeks before this over advancement issues and had already been signed to Dame Minnie's first run by the time I showed up. Guinness told me he'd been knocking around town for some time and had been on big couriers before that. Bairn flew a transport for one of the local mining outfits and was the company man on board. He'd been a last-minute replacement, actually, and one we'd cursed ever since, but to be fair... He was a great pilot, and he never dumped a lot of rah-rah, go-company crap on us. He seemed as bored and miserable as the rest of us, and even told me once about three weeks out that he missed his little shuttle job dreadfully. Ostensibly, we were pacing Diegman in a solar orbit of our own around Riltool, out beyond where that small, queasy, orange star's gravity shadow extended into jump space, and thus where ships traveling to or from Diegman via star jump had to show up before continuing on. The fact that there was nothing else of any interest in the system besides the mining town on Diegman that had hired us and some factory satellites further out from there made our present general locale the only area worth guarding. Of course, we'd had to continually weave through various orbital trajectories in the weeks we'd been out here so as to sort of, keep pace with Diegman half a billion kilometers closer in system, but that was all predictable stuff and had been pre-programmed by the techs back home. All outbound vessels were being told to rendezvous with us before making star jump. That meant any unconfirmed contacts, read that pirates, would have to go through us in order to pick off one of the little merchanders with their small but extremely valuable cargoes of rare minerals and refined metals. Since free traders had to buy their loads outright instead of getting anything on spec, and Betchels, like Dame Minnie, had no star jump capabilities whatsoever, well, everyone was kept fairly honest. At least, that was the idea. Actually, in my free time that month, I developed a scenario wherein a gunboat like ours doing our job could waylay the cargo ship it was intended to protect, board her, cold walk the crew, and then take off with it to parts unknown. This was just professional speculation. You'd need conspiring crewmates without any morals, some rather specific training in shipboard combat techniques, and all the command codes needed to override the target ship's computer. This last was the hardest to manage of all, which was why my little scenario, or any variation thereof, virtually never occurred. Oh, people had tried it before, but only a legendary few had ever succeeded. Studying this sort of thing was my bag, but... Lustful fantasies of my shipmates aside, I knew the difference between speculation and reality. He's a bleeding pile. Sally didn't elaborate. Instead, she motioned with her hand to wait for something. So I waited. There, that's what I'm talking about. See what I mean? Not a clue. You didn't feel that? The mags were spiking. It's like a a wave passing through you. Sorry, must be one of those educated palate things. You said that even the computer didn't pick it up. No, it does register. It's just that diagnostics doesn't rate it highly enough to consider it a problem. Even a well-balanced mag model has a range of variants that includes occasional peaks and valleys. Well, small ones anyway. If we were involved in combat or training maneuvers or really anything at all that could have been a distraction, I doubt I'd have pursued it myself. 
Most variances are due to outside causes, like power draws elsewhere in the vessel, or even solar flare activity if you're close enough, which we're not. This flux is from the magnetic field propagation array, which is in the early stages of failure. Now with the... My eyes must have been glazing over, because then she just frowned and waved at the fusion plant. Anyway... These cheap value power jobs aren't really made to be fixed by the user. You're supposed to sign a service contract with the dealer and then pay through the colon whenever something goes wrong, because of course, nothing that's likely to go wrong is ever covered. That's not an option for us. Dame Minnie's almost 50 years old, and it's gone through a lot of hands. But this power plant is the original unit. It doesn't owe anybody anything, I guess, but that still leaves us with a big strip-down and reassembly. Where do we start? I want to do a full service test on the entire battery bank so we don't have any nasty surprises when we shut down the plant. Each battery? Can't you just run diagnostics? It'd be a lot faster. Oh, I already did that, and they seem fine. But the battery monitor subroutine is this homegrown thing that one of the previous owners wrote, and I just don't want to trust some yo-yo's tollhouse cookie program on something this vital. I don't know why they dumped the factory-issued routine anyway. It comes with the package. I didn't have any answer to that, of course. What will it bring to me? You've got to be strong, your story goes on and on, even though our page is gone. Those God-fisting, mother-mating grifters! What the flying fornication are we supposed to do now? I didn't have any answer to that either. One battery at 57%, another at 31%, a third at 18 and the remaining seven all flatlined. Meanwhile, the diagnostics said there wasn't one battery in the entire bank under 94%. At least now we knew why they had installed their own routine. To sell an old betchel to a bunch of rubes without having to replace the emergency standby batteries. Replacing an entire bank would have taken a deep bite out of any profits, while a fake Diag program might not have cost anything. I should have done this check before we left Diegman, but I was going crazy getting the main drive ready. Can we still do the repairs if we work fast? How long will the power last from those three that still work? Not long enough. If we shut down now, we'd normally have a week or more with this much juice. But these batteries will drain out a lot faster than normal. They've been undercharged so long, they won't be able to hold what little they've got. And I'll be needing to use heavy tools, too, on the emitters that we take out of the power plant. The bench drill and the lays? That'll eat a lot of juice right there. Then we'll have to reinstall, run a diag of the whole magnetic system with the installed package for the power plant, which I hope to crawling savior we can trust, and then take them out again and fine-tune the work. And we'll probably have to do all this several times to get it right. Then we'll just have to be extra careful the first time. No, Ejock, we don't have precision tools on board. If this works at all, it'll be a process of elimination. Nip and tuck here, check it. Nip and tuck there, check it. Until we get it exactly, precisely right. This old tub isn't much, but it's still a far cry from some broken-down air car you could tinker with in your backyard. The fusion reactor won't work at all if the mag bottle isn't right, and the bottle won't form until the emitters are right. Fixing the power problem is impossible because of the power problem? Well... Maybe if we cut the dead units out of the system, we can gain a few kilowatt hours from the resistance we'll save. 
That doesn't solve the problem, Sal. I know what the fornicating problem is, Ejok. Don't badger me like some low-rent bairn. I need your help in this, and right now, you can help me most of all by shutting up. I have to think. She went to her desk and began to check some numbers, adding and subtracting on a calculator program to one side of the screen while she studied a schematic of the power plant. She mumbled, swore to herself, and even punched the flat screen at one point and spat, Oh, you son of a mutt! I went and got coffee for us both, but she let hers get cold by her elbow as she worked. Finally, after nearly an hour of concentration, she turned back, a little calmer than before. Okay, here's what we do. We shut everything off, and I mean everything, except heat, air, and the computer's core functions. We rewire a few of the backup power packs for specific systems into the main trunk to help feed that crappy battery bank. You and I work without break until the job is done, and we just might do it. Now, don't yell, Sally, but wouldn't just shutting off the AG be enough? That's a big draw right there. <sighs> Artificial gravity uses a lot of power, yes, which is why we'll be shutting it down, too. But we're probably going to eat up most of what we save there by running the power tools. They weren't designed to conserve energy, keep in mind. If we have to use them three or four times before we get it right, then we sure as defecation better have the power we need. What about the restart? We'll need a couple of megawatts to bring the system back up to critical. Only as a surge at the beginning to stabilize the waveform. We'll use one of your char packs. Weapons-grade accelerators use capacitors in order to have instant power for the first salvo. What do you call it? Chamber something? Keeping one in the chamber, yeah. That way there's always a shot ready to go. No need to charge weapons. It's standard procedure. What about it? We'll physically run a line out to the aft gun and shunt it in. Then, when we're ready to start, you fire the thing off, and the surge goes directly to the power plant down here instead of running through the char pack itself. I'll just have to monkey up a regulator of some kind to rectify the weapon surge with what the power plant needs. That part's not hard anyway. Should we tell the others? Probably, but I can't deal with Bairn right now. You run and give them the basics while I disconnect the dead batteries, and tell them not to bother me for a while. This'll be hard enough without an idiot's questions. And she gave me a hard look. It was actually easier dealing with the captain than I expected, because I kept the conversation on the technical side, and he just nodded sagely and acted like he understood and approved. Guinness, on the other hand, who was usually so easygoing, seemed genuinely disturbed. We have to at least keep emergency comm open in case we can't fix this problem. Who are we going to call again? We're too far out for anybody to come and get us in time. The only shot we have here is for this to work, and it can only work if we have all available power. Besides, we can always scrap together some juice for calm if it comes down to that. We'll want to tell Diegman what's happening before we shut down. And anyway, once the power plant is back up, we'll have to return to port ASAP. Without a decent set of emergency backup batteries, we don't want to meet up with any bad guys out here. Can't we keep passives online then? They hardly pull any juice at all on their own. I realize we'll be keeping computers down to minimum levels, which means no sensor analyses, but I can handle those myself if I have a little time. If we do get visitors, we ought to know about it. That seemed reasonable to me, but Sally had to think it over once I relayed the request. 
Sensors on a Betchel are bundled together in two pre-installed packages with passives and actives sprinkled rather equally along the port and starboard sides. Cut power and they both go. She ruminated for a bit, then said she could run a shunt to passives through comp since we'd be keeping low levels there active anyway. This way we could tap the tiny backup power cells in the sensor suite while still keeping one eye open. This was a good idea, but I couldn't help but be a little irritated. If anyone but Guinness had asked her for this, she would have dismissed it out of hand and spat rivets. Anyway, disconnecting dead batteries is just a matter of rerouting a few cable connections, so she was ready with the shutdown at this stage. We set everything up for manual deactivations, made sure everybody on board had a flashlight or headlamp, some water and ration bars handy, had gone to the fresher recently, we would have to use emergency bio-waste bags until this was done, and then we started pulling plugs. It really takes longer than you'd think to shut down systems that were never meant to be shut down while in flight. There were virtual and physical fail-safes to bypass, checks and double-checks to make of each system's own backup power supplies, if applicable, and in two particular cases, replacement of failing small, though vital, components that had yet to show up on diagnostics. But in a few hours, we were floating in zero-G, draped in darkness, and swallowed in silence. Actually, the other two guys were swallowed in silence. Engineering was still subject to the bang hiss of the atmosphere exchanger. The inner core of the power plant had an emergency vent to the exterior so as to blow plasma or super-hot vapors out to vacuum should it ever be necessary. Sally used it this time, however, simply to cool off the core, which was now shut off but still lethally hot. When that looked good, she took a cordless vibrosaw and began cutting through the reactor housing. She wasn't kidding about value powers not being meant for the do-it-yourselfer. As she worked, periodically having me hold or fetch something, she explained how the small reactor would normally have been serviced and rebuilt in the factory. Giant automated prying tools would pop off the housing case. Other tools would extract each integrated component and test it. The faulty emitters would be replaced, and the whole thing would have been reassembled in a matter of minutes. An easy process, apparently, for a robotic factory. Not so easy for people with only hand tools who were weightless, in the dark, and had the clock ticking. Despite our best intentions, we did end up taking a ration bar break after a few hours. We'd made coffee before the shutdown and had insulated ZG cups of hot joe to wash the dry, tasteless things down. A little enough reward, maybe, but it picked up my spirits some. Bayern had popped in periodically over the previous few hours, always saying something inane meant to bolster our morale, and then withering fast under Sally's sarcastic responses. He chose this moment to float in again for an update. Well, we've opened the array. Now we have to start working on the emitters themselves. Aha, that's pretty good. Sounds like we'll be up and running soon. This was the easy part. We have days of hand machining and testing ahead of us yet, so just hold your water. We'll be done when we're done and not till we're done, Savvy. You know, Sally, we would all get along better if we could just be a little more polite to each other. What's this we, Bairn? You have multiple personalities? If so, do you have one that's not an idiot? See, now that's what I'm talking about. 
If everybody in this tub just did their fornicating jobs and let everybody else do their fornicating jobs, we'd all get along just fine. Keep bothering us down here, and none of us, not one person, will have to worry about getting along with anybody ever again. Is that polite enough for you, Captain Bly? Baron looked at me, but I just held up my hands. As he turned to go, he motioned me to follow him out to the companionway. I'm concerned about Sally. Do you think she's up to this challenge? We had to steady ourselves with the handrail while we talked, and Bayern's shirt tail floated up behind him in a vent draft, like a cape. He futzed with it the whole time we talked. Look, don't take it personally, Bayern. You just get under her skin. It's not her engineering skills that are in question here. It's her ability to work under pressure. Can she handle the stress of our situation, or should I be thinking of change? Think whatever you want. Our lives are riding on Sally right now because nobody else aboard, myself included, can hand-machine those spheres without ruining them. Just give her some space, Baron, and she'll get us home. He chewed it over like he had a choice and then shook his head with a sigh. Okay, Jack, but I want you to watch her closely. If she starts to crack, we have to be ready to take action. He shoved off and floated down the companionway until he had to take a corner, then smacked right into the bulkhead with a painful oomph. After that, he floundered off out of sight. I'd known bigger fools in my time, but this was an emergency. If he kept bugging Sally, we'd have to tie him up and gag him. She was still fuming when I returned to engineering. Is Baron talking fecals about me, Ejok? I'll space him. I swear it. Sally, please don't sweat a moron. I mean, he can't be the worst jerk you ever worked for. Why does he bug you so much? She grumbled inarticulately and turned away to the exposed magnetics. I thought that would be her only reply, but after nearly a minute of silence, she spoke again without turning around. Her voice was quiet and sounded fatigued, as if she'd been running a marathon. Every time I look at Bairn, I see my first husband. He was shorter, maybe, and with dark hair instead of fair. But I'm telling you, they could almost be brothers. I come from a gravity well named Waverly. I met Bindero when I was fresh out of school and still a kid. I had stars in my eyes and vacuum in my head. Bin was born in jump space and had never lived on a planet in his life. He was everything I wanted to be if you could overlook a few flaws. Seems he had a taste for grano. You know, that nasty rot gut from Barlow they distill from used cooking oil? And he was a mean drunk. It might surprise you to hear it, but I wasn't always the kind of person I am now. He bounced me off the bulkhead for three solid years. His family owned the ship we were on, Haster by name, and he was being groomed to take the center chair someday. Naturally, then, it had to be his lazy ground-pounder of a wife's fault every night, right? Even I believed it. I wanted to be a spacer so bad, Ejok, you can't imagine. I wised up eventually, but it took cultured bone grafts in my jaw and right cheek to do it. Each time Bairn says something stupid, I just want to lay Bindero's head open with a spanner. Sounds like unfinished business. I jumped ship at Sandalwood, over in Manya's sector, 
and showed my purple face to a local magistrate. She annulled the marriage on the spot. She tried to have him arrested, too, but under the Alliance Treaty, a free trader is considered a sovereign nation and no reason short of direct military, commercial, or civil threat, blah, blah, blah. It didn't happen on planet, so legally they couldn't go in and get him. He agreed to the divorce, promised to leave me be, so that was that. There's plenty of precedent, I guess. The magistrate was so pissed off, though, she pulled some strings and had Haster's contract with the local trade commission pulled. A minor thing on the surface of it, but Sandalwood was part of their annual route back then. I figure the loss adds up to a couple of million by now, so maybe there's some justice in space after all. If there was, you wouldn't still want to beat the guy to the floor via Bairn. Looks aside, don't let our current boss get to you, Sally. He's pretty close to useless, and he knows it. So he asks a lot of questions and gets under our feet so he can pretend he's contributing something. If you just tell him to shut up and leave it at that, we won't have to mutiny. I don't want to lose my bonus. <laughs> I'll do my best, Ejok. Just do your best and keep him out of here. And pass me that microspec over there. I need a close look at this crap. She spent the next hour or two examining the surface of the fist-sized emitter spheres, cursing twice on the third one, which she put aside before continuing on. None of the other fifteen seemed to offend her, though, so she put them back inside the housing carefully. She then held up the flawed sphere as if I could see what was wrong with it from two meters away. They sure don't make them like they used to, especially at value power. Look at this thing. Instead of a composite shell of iron carbide and titanium tungsteel steel crystal, which is the very minimum that Alliance construction regs allow for, by the way, we have instead what looks like a hollow aluminum shell coated with a thin layer of iron in a polymer base. There are two scratches in this paint job, here and here. I figure a couple of specks of this cheap paint must have come off under the plant's magnetic field, and they, in turn, gouged away more of it. Doesn't seem like much damage, does it? If the paint kept eroding, which'd be inevitable in my view, the mag field would have deformed and been unable to maintain the fusion reaction. No reaction, no power. And worse yet, in the milliseconds between the drop of the mag field and the end of the controlled reaction, the hot plasma would have flashed out to the outer edge of the frame holding the spheres. And? Well, in a quality power plant, nothing. The magnetics fail, there's a flash inside the casing that nobody sees, and the system switches to standby batteries with, maybe, at most, a flicker of the lights to show that it happened. Nothing inside a good unit can be hurt, and whoever services it after that finds everything fine and dandy, except for the original problem, whatever it was. In this piece of bowel business, though, we'd have a flash and the distinct smell of burning plastic and maybe even some visible smoke. Open it up, and you find 16 blackened and stinking spheres, good for absolutely nothing now that their polymer coatings have been charred off by the plasma flash. In other words, there'd be no way to fix them at that stage. I suppose I can take it as a given that there isn't a bucket of this paint just lying around in stowage somewhere. <laughs> no, and it wouldn't work that way anyway. That polymer would have to be applied by a computer that could spread a uniform depth with a uniform distribution of iron atoms over the entire surface. 
We couldn't hope to match that here, even if we could whip up a batch of the stuff, which we can't. Can't? We can't fix those scratches. Uh, I don't know yet. Let me think. That was Sally speak for don't bug me for a while, so I took the opportunity to update the others. I found them both to the fore in the little cockpit that stood in for a bridge, and I hung out in the hatchway while I talked. Baron clucked and fretted, wondering aloud if he should step in and handle things personally. Both Guinness and I ignored him, and I think he ignored himself, too. I was about to leave when I noticed a flashing light on Guinness's board. It was a proximity alert. What's that? He looked over, then jumped screens a few times, getting to the right sensor display. Hello, and where's my audible tone? Gone with the power down? How long was this flashing, Ejok? I just noticed it now. I take it it's new? Maybe. He tapped away, going through the logs for the last few minutes, brow crinkled in concentration and... maybe worry. What's wrong? Gen, what was the trigger? What's Proxen 5 set to? Infrared? Gennis frowned uncharacteristically as he pulled up the sensor data log on one side of his screen. Graviton. We had company from outside the star system. Could it be a, a, a pirate? Do we have missiles active yet? We can't open the hatches on any of the bays without power. It's way too early to fret over anyway. We don't have any idea who this is. What's their transponder say, Guinness? That frown on his face had only gotten deeper. I'm not getting a transponder. A quick diag says, no, we're good. They just don't want anybody to know they're here. No active sensors from them either. I don't like this. These guys are acting shady. This might be the real thing after all. Guinness had an alarming grimness to his usually cheerful features, while Bayern looked like someone told him nine months after a really bad bender that he needed to pick baby names. Personally, I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. Guinness, what's our EM output? Uh, I don't know. How? Set your general passives all the way up and key a full-spectrum run, but zero out the bogey. He played with the keyboard for a while. Mmm, okay, I read. 7.85% of normal. I assume that's us, but... Okay, no output. Or dang little output, anyway. Now let me remember... Betchels have an average of 17 centimeters of polonium alloy for the hull, and another... 20 in composite armor. All the wrong stuff for a stealth vessel. None of it'll mask a signature too well. But I'm betting that it's plenty thick enough to scatter our current output. Especially if they're running on passives as well. And we haven't been hit with a sensor wash, so... Whoa. But then I thought of something scary, and I turned to kick off down the companionway back to engineering. Bayern grabbed my calf and stopped me. What is it, Ejok? They don't want anyone to know they're here, right? Well, right now, neither do we. Then I was gone, hoping against hope that I'd be in time. Sally was just switching on the lays when I came in, the errant emitter sitting under it like a diseased grapefruit. The cramped space hampered my movement, so all I could do immediately was scream at her to shut it down, which she did with a startled jump. Ejok, what the flux? Pirate, inbound. He probably hasn't made us yet because of our power down, but any big draw will flag us. Her eyes were big and very serious then, as she looked around at the gutted mess that engineering had become. How far off? 
not far enough. Maybe two light seconds, it looked like, spinward, 30 degrees off plane. Tell me you can work magic, Sally. In my bunk, maybe. If they catch wind of us now, we're stool out of lucky, Jock, and no mistake. A graceless bump and a familiar oomph at the open hatch behind me announced Bairn, who'd followed me down. We need power, Sally. I know, Bairn. No, I'm not kidding around. We've got a hostile out there, and we need power right now. Get him out of here, Ejok. Didn't you hear what I said? It's a pirate! Now, Ejok, or I'll kill him. We need weapons. We need engines. We're sitting ducks here. Sally snatched up a chem torch and began to go around the ducts and draping cables with a scary sort of blankness on her face. I was closer, though, so I brachiated my way through the intervening space and hustled Bairn back out into the companionway. I took a hard grip on his earlobe and pulled him close. He needed to hear this. If you mess up Sally's concentration now, I'll glue your hands and feet together and dump you in the cabin. Get out and stay out. Or better yet, do something useful like running vector sims. Use the real-time data from Guinness's passives and you'll be ready for trouble. He slapped away my hands and canted backwards out of my immediate reach, anchoring himself to one of the handholds, a look of stark terror and fury written plainly on his broad face. Who do you think you are? I'm the captain of this boat. Then you better bleeding act like it from now on, or there's a field demotion by popular demand in your future. That's mutiny, Ejok. Don't you dare threaten me. I grabbed his shirt and drew him close again, eye to eye. He must have seen something there he didn't like, because his own eyes bulged in sudden apprehension. I'm not going to die out here because of your stupid crap, Captain Bairn, sir. Stay calm. Sally knows what needs to be done, and if it can be done, she'll do it. But if you continue to be a liability on this cruise, I'll load a tube by hand and launch you at the pirate. Savvy? You're, you're crazy, Jock. You're absolutely crazy. He turned too quickly to escape my insane clutches and did an impressive pirouette until he got himself under control. He flailed his way forward, muttering that we, presumably Sally and I, were going to get everyone killed. I hung there a bit, musing that if he kept on thinking like that, and especially if he'd finally developed a strong opinion as to who we were going to start with, then he might just give us the space we needed to work. Not that I had any idea what work there was to do at this point, with no engines, no weapons, no communications, restricted sensor systems, and what would probably have been an impossible repair job even if we didn't have a raider on our doorstep. Sally was already back at the workbench, hovering over the sphere. I better not see him again. I came up beside her and said nothing for a long time, but my thoughts must have been loud, because she looked over at me at length. What? We can't fix it. Am I right? Yep. It's plain impossible without delays. Maybe even with it. I was going to try electroplating it with superconductive nanotubes. Did that by hand once back in school as a demo of the basic principle. Works decently for magnetic propagation, too. I just don't know what to do now. Well, what about rearranging the order of the emitters, leaving the bad one out? We could overlap the field influences so that the entire reaction area is covered, then run it underpowered, maybe, and... She shook her head and pointed to the casing that held all the other emitter spheres in place. That was computer-designed, computer-constructed, and computer-installed. 
if we're off by so much as a millimeter, which would be an impossibly good error factor by hand, the magnetic bottle will fail. Besides, firing up the reactor, whether to bring it online or just to test the work, will light us up like a spotlight to the sensors of any nearby ships. She looked up with a bleak stare that convinced me at last. And that's when I really got scared. Can't we just put this back in and run the power plant until it fails? I, I mean, I know, later we'll have to deal with it, but at least for now. The flaws in the magnetic coating are direction-specific. We'd never be able to put the sphere back in the unit in exactly the way it was installed. The scratches would be off from where they were before, which would deform the field immediately. It would fail simply because of the imbalance there. I mean, it should have failed some time ago. Okay, um... What about shielding the lays for EM leakage? I mean, we could use it if there were no detectable energy signature, right? There's all that trash EM wrapping that the dock crew left aboard back at Diegman. Remember, I had to find a place to stow it all and I was honked off? We could wrap the lays with that stuff and... The lays isn't the only problem, Ejok. Even if you shield it all over, the batteries emit an EM field when they're used. The wiring in the bulkheads do too when electricity runs through them. There's a voltage regulator and a small junction redirect and... Okay, okay, then get it. I hesitated to keep brainstorming, partly out of fear of exasperating her, and partly out of fear of where my thoughts were headed. She kept staring at me, though, knowing somehow that I wasn't done talking. Well, then that just leaves us only one option. We fight. Don't be afraid I can't erase memories With the actions I seize and I Cannot erase Well, that's it for part one. Keep listening for a preview of part two. And I want to ask you to bear with me. I'm going to be kind of ad-libbing this part of it. Uh, I don't do well on ad-libbing. I, I, everything is usually scripted, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot. Motherload is a story I wrote a few years ago, and I always had intentions of pursuing it and creating a, a larger framework for the you know universe that it takes place in. And I did start that, and I began a story called Street Candles, which turned into a novel that I'm still currently working on. That is going to be book two of the Star Drifter series, which I intend to probably have out and ready sometime next year. Okay, now as I mentioned, the text version of this script is available for free on my site, cavalcadeaudio.com, cha-ching, cha-ching. Also, this audiobook is going to be available for free, all three parts. As it comes out, it will be available there forever, right? Or for as long as I'm online, it'll be there, and it'll be available. However, I am also, when it's all done, when the thing is completely done, I am going to recut and re-edit the whole thing so it's one single story um and i'll be cutting out all the extra intros and outros and you know next time on mother load and previous and all this other stuff all of that will be cut out and it'll be a complete story beginning to end and i will again be offering that at amazon for a nominal fee i don't know what the fee is going to be don't ask me but it won't be much so don't worry about it um now i'm rambling and i apologize for that but i Really do invite your comment. I want your opinions, okay? I want to hear what people have to say. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Let me know. I may not take your advice. I may not agree. Or even if I agree, I might be too lazy to do anything about it. But I really want to hear. You can go to my website. Look at my website. I 
you know, that, that entire mess is my own fault. So if you don't like it, let me know. If it doesn't look right in your browser, let me know because you know how that goes. But the point is, just let me know. I'm on Google+, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Identica, I'm on Twitter, and you can always write to me, lostinbronx at gmail.com. I have all that information, you know, the exact details in the closing credits if you can sit through them. So that's my spiel. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Take care. Next time on Motherload. We're in a remote corner of a bleak system in a broken down boat, and not one of us is getting paid what we're worth. You want to be a fragging hero, and you want us to go along for the ride. They just hit actives, people. We're in the spotlight now. I've never heard of a Sandrino Smart Jozo or whatever you said. Emergency lockdowns in progress. Hatches and valves shutting. Everything. We're spacers. We've all had a lot of births. Well, today, we fight pirates and we save ships. Maybe not our own. Final missile diagnostic, 100%. Firing in five standard seconds. You have been listening to the Cavalcade Audio Productions presentation of Motherload, book one of Star Drifter, written and read by Lost in Bronx. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can find Cavalcade Audio Productions on Google Plus and on Facebook. And I'm on Twitter and Identica as Lost in Bronx. Drop me a line and tell me what you think. And please do check out my site, cavalcadeaudio.com, where you can read the complete text version of this story, check out the credits and attributions for the show, sign up for the feed, and stay current with everything that's going on. Motherload is a work of fiction and is not meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Apparent similarities are purely coincidental. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Trunks i released by Royal Bass Records, and is available on SoundCloud.com. The music for Motherload is called Love Me or Not by DubFX and is used under special permission. It can be found at ConvoyUnlimited.BigCartel.com. These artists retain their respective licenses for their content. This production is otherwise copyright 2012 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Unported 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Respect the license, respect the fans, share, and share alike. Talk to you soon. Yeah.